The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. This must be the place. This episode is the first of our walking tour episodes. So what we're doing is revisiting a 1980 book called Melbourne on Foot, 15 Walks Through Historic Melbourne. And in this episode, we start off with David speaking with one of the authors of that book, Professor Graham Davison of Monash University. And after that, David and I reenact the tour of Richmond. Yes, I'd already published The Rise and Fall of Marvellous Melbourne and a few other things, but this was the second publication. And in some ways I realised that, looking back, that the book was was also for me a bit of a response to um, that first book. The first book was written originally as a PhD, and although I was writing about Melbourne, I was actually most of the time in Canberra. Right. And I think when I reread that book, I realised there's a certain distance in, still there implicitly. When I came back, I began in 1975 to teach a course on urban history. And some of the walks in this book originated as experiences for students. Um, and at about the same, shortly after that, I also became a member of the, what's now the Heritage Council of Victoria, the Historic Buildings Council of Victoria. And that began my visual education. I realised in many respects that I, I wouldn't say I was visually illiterate, but I was close to it um, in some ways. And I began then to realise how much of the history of the city could be recovered by being learning to, to read it properly, to learning to see it properly. So the, it was the, those walks that we began were an education for me as well as for my students. Um, and then I think in about, it must have been in the late 70s sometime, um, the ANZUS meeting was held in Melbourne. This is the big scientific gathering. Um, and the historians used to meet as a, as a section of ANZUS. And I was asked to prepare some walks for people who are coming to Melbourne for those. And I can remember conducting Ken Inglis and other people around the centre of the city. And at the end of it all, they were so um, enthusiastic about these that I thought it was a, a, a good idea to gather them together. And in the meantime, I'd, back in 74, I went for the first time to Chicago. Um, and while I was there, I, um, I began to walk the neighbourhoods. Um, I, I befriended a guy who was the, um, the custodian of the rare books at the Ravenstein Library, who was a great Chicago buff. And he took me around in the neighbourhoods, and there was already a book published in Chicago by a man called Ira Bach called Chicago on Foot. So the title of this book, Melbourne on Foot, is, a, is simply pinched from, from the Chicago one. Um, and of course, walking the neighbourhoods was something that was very much a, a, a habit of the Chicago sociologists. Um, so I was again kind of a bit following in their 
wake, I suppose. So you, you had a whole lot of guest contributors here, so yes. there's a bit of dividing up of territory. You, I think, do three chapters, yes. Yes. three walks. Yes. Um, you did Richmond, which is your yes. stopping ground. And yes, And well, you also did the, uh, sit the western part of the CBD. Yes. And then you did St Kilda with David. With Dunstan. David, that's right. Yes. And yeah. how, how uh, the other Well, the group, I mean, the group, the other thing I should mention is that at about the same time, uh, we began, several of us who were working on Melbourne in one way or another, decided to form an urban history seminar. So many of the members, uh, many of the contributors to this book were members of that seminar, or, and some of them were graduate students of mine who were working on, on topics. We were quite explicit, by the way, it wasn't a Melbourne history group, there was simultaneously, almost, there was a Sydney history group, and we were very emphatic that we were an urban history group, that we were interested in cities other than Melbourne. Um, and interested in approaching them in a, in a comparative way, but a, a fair proportion of us were working on Melbourne topics. And so among the contributors, there are a mix of people who were um, already academics, like uh, John Lack and Renata Howe. There were people who were my graduate students, like Geoffrey Kerr. Um, and then there were people who were kind of urban activists of one kind or another. I noticed just recently Barbara Niven, who had been a great figure in South Melbourne had, had died just recently. Now she was another of the contributors. So we, we had that kind of mix between academics and activists, which was again, I think, part of the, and it was very consciously a, a collaborative yes. exercise. I mean, Bar Barbara, for instance, she sort of blurred the boundaries a bit in, in, her, and in her interest in, strong interest in history. Yes. I'm guessing that most, it was very local. It was very, uh, yes. South Melbourne was her. Yes. Yeah. Nancy Oren was another one who again was a kind of, she'd been a graduate student but she also with her husband was an activist in the in the Port Melbourne kind of area so we brought a little bit of that flavor to the book I think so how, how did um, how did people use the book well it, I mean it was used I think we it was certainly used as a um, as a student book but we were consciously trying to appeal to a much wider readership and it was published by um, Rigby in Adelaide um, and that was partly because we thought that Rigby were one of the few um, publishers of history who were trying to reach a broader audience so we quite um, consciously didn't go to Melbourne University Press or Alan Munwin who I'd published with at about the same time we wanted a publisher who we thought would reach a more popular readership and they, their books tended to be um, stocked in newsagents and and, uh, as well as bookshops. Now I'm not sure that we how, how far we achieved that. The book did well. Whether whether we achieved all that we wanted to, I don't know. But it was probably at that time the first book of its kind. Now there's lots of walking tour books. Uh, I'm not saying that it was the first in Mel in Melbourne. There had been little books of walking tours done as early as the 1940s. But this was probably the first sizable contribution. Um, and it, it stood a bit in contrast to other books of its kind in being written by a collection of social historians, really, rather than architects or architectural historians. So we consciously didn't pick the fashionable suburbs, so you won't find Parkville or East Melbourne or Turak in the, in the book. We were, I suppose, really uh, wanting to challenge notions of what which were the historical yes. Yes. The historical, and I think yeah. you know so including Footscray and even Williamstown was probably yes. a bit 
Was that controversial, or was that? Um, well, we thought it, we, we thought we thought it was wanting to make a bit of a statement. I'm not sure how controversial it was in terms of the reception of the book, but um, it certainly would have led people into parts of the city they wouldn't otherwise have visited. I think. Um, uh, I think we, in retrospect, I, at one point I thought maybe we should uh, issue a revision of the book or an extended version of the book, and I probably would have then um, relaxed my severe view a bit and gone and included some of the places that were the more obvious um, places that the, the tourists would have wanted to go to. The thing that, that we were interested in, and it's particularly true of St Kilda, um, is that we were interested in neighbourhoods that had some kind of historical complexity. And if, if, you, if we were to take Parkville by contrast, Parkville is relatively uniform kind of architecture, it's more or less of a period, it's relatively intact. Um, it, by contrast, some of the places like St Kilda um, register a whole complex of changes that occur over time and they're architecturally rather messy you know it's what what first strikes the person who walks through St Kilda is not that this is like Edinburgh's new town or parts of London that are all so beautifully uniform it's actually a, from the vantage point of an architectural purist probably a bit of a mess but it's the mess that interests us Let's, um, let's just talk about the Richmond yes. walk. Because, Graeme, you, you grew up in Richmond? No, no, I didn't. Go, I grew up in Essendon, but, okay. I, but Richmond was the subject of my fourth-year dissertation. Oh, that's right, yes. So I, I kind of, um, you know, in my uh, probably naive way, I was in search of the Australian working class. Mm. And I... You found them there? And I found them there. Well, of course, in 1960 when I went there, they were certainly well and truly there. Um, no sign of much gentrification at, at that stage. But um, no, I, I went there, and I had, and I do remember. I mean, the, the episode that um, Tom Griffiths has now recorded in his in his book was uh, one afternoon I was walking down Docker Street. And in those days, I had a, a second-hand car, an old car which needed maintenance, and I had to keep tools so I had wrenches and hammers and all sorts of other things and I was walking down Docker Street with my bag which contained these implements as well as two cameras and as I was walking down the street um, I noticed there was a car following me down there's no one else in the street there were these two rather thuggish looking guys in the car so I kept walking faster and I the car it was your kept car following and you forgot to put the handbrake on it no 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 it was this was, was, was the, it was pale blue Holden and uh, suddenly the guy jumped out and grabbed me and put me in the back seat. It turned out they were two plainclothes coppers from the <laughs> Richmond police station who then I opened up my bag and I found all of these housebreaking implements. You know. <laughs> so I kept protesting and I, re I do remember the moment where he said to me, and now what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing historical research. And yeah. he looked at me in a disbelieving way and said, and how long have you been on this caper? <laughs> so they took me back to the CIB and I kept protesting. Ring up um, Alan Martin, who was my, my supervisor. Ring up Dr. Martin. So they eventually rang up Alan and he vouched for me as being a you're my accomplice said I was okay <laughs> of course needless to say this story did the rounds of the tea room at the Melbourne History okay, Department yeah. it was quite a, sorry but that so I, I, I in those days it was 
Richmond was still very much, uh, I was working, I discovered rate books as being a source and so I was working in the rate office uh, much of the time and was next door to the welfare offices it was so, so called which was the, in those days um, run by part of the Richmond labour machine. So, and I was talking all the time to the guys who ran the rate office and getting the gossip on how the Richmond Council ran. So it was very much, you know, still intact, the kind of picture that you get at the inner suburbs that's recorded in Frank Hardy's Power Without yeah. Glory and so on. Um, it, it was beginning, there are a few people beginning to buy houses a bit later on the hill, um, but still pretty much a solid working class neighbourhood. And what I was interested in was telling a story, this is not unlike the one that, that you see in St Kilda, about how Richmond, which began in the post-gold rush period on the hill with middle-class people establishing themselves and then as settlement goes east and onto the flat the complexion of the place begins to change and the, the middle class move out and it, it becomes pretty much working class um, neighbourhood. So I, that was on the late 19th century. What I didn't know of course is that, um, uh, that my own folks had been there. Um, yeah. uh, I mean years later I discovered that on the very route that I followed down Lennox Street, my great-great-great-grandmother had lived with her daughter for much of the late 19th century. So um, we thought we were, um, by the time my family got to Essendon, we thought we'd joined the middle class, but had to look back a little bit to find I mean, our what, origins. What is perhaps surprising about Richmond when we <coughs> went there following the, the route of, mm. uh, you know, in the, the 1980 book? So many things are still there. Yes. Like, you know, of course, a lot of the factories are now apartment blocks and so on. And there are some things, there some sort of, some things where we can't even, we couldn't even quite figure out how they had once been what's yes. described in the book. But there are a lot of, you know, the rundown cottage that's still run down, still yeah, a cottage. Yeah, I was impressed by that. It had yes. has a cottage on. Yeah. That what it said that looked like it had been built in instalments. I think. Yes. That one. Yes, still I know that one. Like yeah, that. that's right. Well, well, there's a lot of that, and mm. it, and and the same must be true, you know, through much of Melbourne. It, it, it's been a huge wave of change in the last two decades, but um, especially in the inner suburbs. But a lot of it's still visible and intact if you've got the eyes to see it. What about the gap it? between when you did your um, fourth year, was it your honours thesis, mm. and when you wrote the walking tour? Had much changed in that period of time? Yes, it had quite a bit. Yeah, the beginning to. I mean, by the, by 1980, it's become very gentrified. I mean, I had friends. I, I I can remember walking around it as a kid. I mean, I remember walking down Docker Street. And, which is just behind, you know, it's behind the hill, behind the Anglican Church, and then there's a, a, a street called the Vaucluse, mm -hmm. yes. which is mm -hmm. one of my favourite streets in Melbourne. Because and it has I can... a definite article. Mm -hmm. That's cool, anyway. <laughs> Sorry? But there's not many streets yeah, that have no, a definite article. Yeah, that's right. But, but I do remember um, friends, John Dwyer, who became the chairman of the National Trust, lawyer, he bought a house there mm -hmm. probably in the 80s sometime, maybe even earlier. So people were beginning to, to recognise its, its attractions. And I... I did have a, a dialogue with Barbara, my wife, about this, um, but uh, for all sorts of practical reasons, we did, didn't go there. Were you um, tempted? I was very tempted. I mean, the, the two places in Melbourne that I always would have liked to have lived were Richmond and Williamstown, and uh, never managed to never managed to achieve it. Um, I mean, it, it was tied up. At that stage, we had small children. We had, you know, child minding accessible closer to where we lived and so we, we went to the suburbs but kind of regretted it in some ways. Mm. Mm. I mean the, the, with Richmond I you know I grew up in Hawthorne and, and 
Richmond was the Greek place yes. to me. Yes. Now, for a lot of people, it's you know Vietnamese. Yes, yes. And there's, there's kind of in a way you don't, you don't touch on no, that too much here. No, no, no. It's, it's almost invisible in that mm. thing. Uh, probably it begun to happen. I mean, I remember, you know, that that strip of Swan Street where there were those Greek cafes. Yeah. I think there's only one or two of them left now. Yeah, but for a while few, there yeah. were quite a few, and I used to, you know, I used to eat there probably by about that time. So I knew it, but we didn't put much. Um, much emphasis on it in this in this war. Yes, you're kind of looking through it, I suppose, back into the 19th century. Yeah. So a lot of this yes. is, 19th, it is early 20th, 20th century uh, history. Yeah. Yeah. Starting on the uh, on the actual tram to um, to Bridge Road, and uh, if I had my glasses on, I could read a little from the book. Although you know, we don't want to read a lot from the book. Copyright, I can't read anything else. But um, what we are told is that if we take any eastbound tram from Young and Jackson's Corner, uh, you follow the route of Melbourne's first cable tram, opening in 1885, running from Spencer Street along Flinders Street, Wellington Parade, and Bridge Road to Yarra Bridge. So. Um, this is our kind of this is our starting starting point from the city to uh, to Richmond, which is uh, I guess an early inner suburb of, of Melbourne. And at the time that this book that Melbourne and Foot was published in 1980, I would say uh, Richmond was still a very working class suburb. Do you have any memories of Richmond yourself and its earlier incarnations, Elizabeth? I was born when that was written. So, yes. Uh, what do you remember from that year? <laughs> Photos visit Richmond, we were like obviously others. agitating to visit Richmond <laughs> ASAP. And, uh, I reckon I went to um, <clears throat> Richmond until much later in life, mm. so got nothing to offer. I will say in the book that um, it's, it is observing that young professionals are starting to move there. Yeah. It yeah, says yeah. something like that. If you have a, don't want to live in the suburbs, but you have a decent income, then you could try Richmond. Will open on the right side of the that, even early Change 1970s, but... After the next stop, this train will continue straight. That's an annoying first, guy. Oh, that guy keeps talking. <laughs> first clear memory of Richmond is actually being, I think, visiting my um, this stop is Russell Street, so older, one of several older siblings when they were studying, and we went to um, get like Vietnamese food on Bridge Road. Yeah. Okay. So that would have been like late 90s, which is uh, well after this. Well, a long um, time after, yeah. and, and there's a whole change. When I was growing up in uh, Hawthorne, which is the next suburb uh, going away from the city, from Richmond, uh, Richmond was Greek. That was like, you know, we didn't, we'd never heard of Greece, but we knew about Greeks, and they lived in Richmond. Right. And that was that was that was all you needed to know about Richmond. And that's where you'd go to get Greek food if you wanted that. I mean, so there was a, a strong um, belief amongst uh, people of Hawthorne that Greek food was the most disgusting. 
thing you could possibly put anywhere near your, your body. But um, that was a um, that was where he went to get that, and that was where the Greeks that some of them um, had even made their way into Hawthorne. So we, uh, we knew about about them from that as well. If we didn't want to venture into Richmond, anyway, that's what Richmond was, and that's what Richmond was. I would say when this book came out, uh, it was very very Greek. When when I was doing research. Uh, for the Trendyville book, I had the pleasure of meeting a lady called um, Anne-Marie Mutton, who, from what I understand, was a very early uh, middle-class <coughs> pioneer of Richmond, moved into Richmond from East Melbourne, so not, not far geographically, but a, uh, a very big deal. Standing on the corner of Hunt Road, Hoddle Street, Bridge Road, and according to our book from 1980, there's a terminus for a cable tram um, company. It's not there anymore, it's just a park and some bricks. And a tree? A tree, yep. And it is. An extraordinarily noisy part of the world. Christ. What do you think they do at Trophy White? Ah, is that really its name? Is that being ironic or... Uh, it could be like, uh, I'm thinking nails in here and stuff. What do you think? Thinking what? Nails. They do nails. Oh, nail salon. Yeah. What do you think though? I don't I can't see anything in the window. I'm completely baffled. I'm excited but baffled. Hang on, here's a plaque. <clears throat> Site of Richmond Cable Tramway Engine House. The building that housed Melbourne's first cable tramway engines was constructed on this site in eighteen eighty five. Blah 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 blah. Both buildings were demolished in 1991 for, as you guessed, road, road intersection improvements. Dean Room Mansion Yelko Winner was erected on the south side of Erin Street. Inside the yes. The house progressively demolished. The last section disappearing in 1977. Elegant townhouses at the western end with them? their fine colonnades. No, I reckon these. No, oh yeah, I see. Um, belong to this period. Plastic surgery centre and skin rejuvenation clinic. Okay, oh. so we're pausing at the corner of Muir Street. We're looking down to the West Richmond Station where the Collingwood railway line goes into a tunnel. Where? Down there? Well, there's the railway station, I know that much. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. yeah. I've always wondered where that station really was. That's where it really is. I've only is. seen it from a train. Yeah. Completed um, early 20th century, because that was a late train line, wasn't it? It was very late. A mansion is now a Salvation Army institution. Really? Is it still, do you reckon? Should we check? I hope it's plastic surgery. Here we are. It's now a pain specialist. Yeah. Not a Salvation Army uh, thing. Pain specialist. A Salvation Army, yeah, not... Uh, 
They've created a bit of pain in their time. Maybe, they, maybe it's still... Or was like, it this big thing? Must be. It's a monster. Uh, yeah, that was more like a mansion, and yeah. this is now the yeah the Elm building, part of the um, Epworth Hydrotherapy Pool and Outpatient Services. I think so. It's very important. So you li- used to live on Lennox Street. I used to live on Lennox Street, very close to where we are right now, in uh, the mid nineties. I um. I moved into a house that had not that long before been lived in by members of the band Frente. <laughs> and oh, was that the one that song's about? No. no. no that was Kelly Street, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And um, there, were, there was cactus in the garden with pieces cut out of it. Like they were smoking it or something. Do, is that what they do? I don't know. You know Frente better than me. I don't know. That's a good story. I don't know what exactly the punchline is, but it's interesting. Thanks. So, at the... This is a great place to live if you're planning on getting a bladder problem. Just got to go up the road. Caloric problems. Uh, okay, so where's Bazisto's? Corner of Lennox Street, um, near the, the intersection side, on the outside. Well, that's no, that's no distillery. What are you looking for now? <clears throat> uh, it talks about Bazisto again. Bazisto, sorry. Well, interestingly, when it, here it was talking about the, um, the eucalyptus thing. Distilled, blah blah blah. Bazisto developed a red gum syrup effective, effectual in all affectations of the mucous membrane of the stomach and bowels. So, a lot of the places we went past to were um, oh, yeah. bowel and stuff. Bad. Very large drain. Into Judd. Okay, so on the left is the factory occupied by John Bedgood and Company. From 1873 to 1881. I don't see a factory now. There is no factory. There's the site uh, occupied by apartments, and I think that's probably what we're looking at. Yeah. There are more. I mean, I'm showing my ignorance of Richmond here. More newer houses than I thought. Really? Like this sort. Yeah. 50s or 60s. Well, like a lot of these places, you know, it's just seen as a place to let's pull all that shit down as possible, as quickly as possible. The thing says, Bozisto, Joseph Bozisto, Mayor of Richmond, founder Bozisto's Eucalyptus Oil. Yep. There's some pretty, um, Nice cars around. Nice. What do you mean by nice? No, expensive, I guess. Yeah. That's too many. Like these cars. Hey, look! This is look. This is interesting. Okay. Number six Bazisto is all happening now. Yeah. So it's called the company. It's got one of these. uh, We're ripping down everything behind it, leaving the facade signs up. Yeah. 
it's uh, being under under development by Archie Blocks. Uh, you can't really infer much else from it. It's not going to tell us what they're doing. Because it's not a planning, it's like a building permit thing. But you can see the blue stone. That's right. And it says behind it, another Archie Blocks home on its way. So and I small, see some pipes. This is the small bluestone cottage occupied in the 1870s by John Pollock, who presumably built it, being mm -hmm. a stonemason. And a nice piece of work it is too, from what I can see. But yeah, it looks like there's a whole lot of stuff going on to the one side, and I guess to the rear as well. It doesn't look like there's much original stuff at the rear in any case. Mm -hmm. Hard to tell. And behind, you know, like it's this brick behind the front. Oh, it is, this brick behind the blue stone. Mm. So we're, we're in a corner of Bank Street and what's the other one? Cameron. And as, as described, can you read it out? Yeah, in a second, as soon as I find the appropriate paper. Um, note the primitive wooden cottage, number 14, apparently built on the instalment plan, the corner shop and the row of wooden terrace houses with mock stone facing, number 35. Sure We're well, looking at the primitive, and it is indeed... Well, I, I, I think I know what Graham's saying, is that it's it's been built in stages, um, hmm. so that it's... It's kind of two buildings, if you see from the back, there's a second... Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, steep roof structure behind it and um, it's also it looks uh, just delightfully shonky at the front I'm sure it's you know it's probably like James Bond's apartment inside We've uh, concluded the corner store. It doesn't exist anymore. I'm not even sure about. I think 35 is a car park now. Yeah, yeah 37. A car park. So we've seen in this little sub, uh, residential patch, and I think we're going to get up to Bridge Road and sort of look at some other civic buildings and so on. Is the um, well, obviously, I mean, ridiculous, obvious statements change so much. As we're walking up Bazisto Street now towards Bridge Road, that's clearly a factory or warehouse building that's now residential. On our left is a, a new apartment building that presumably replaces a factory. So this um, mm. this building up here on the corner of Lego Place, which surely also you know is a new building, but must have replaced a factory of some sort. The Lego factory. And we've seen a lot of yeah, possibly we've seen a lot of. Um, uh, yeah, 19th century houses, which is clearly what the historical tour is interested in from 1980. But we've also seen a lot, as you observe, a lot of new buildings and a lot of houses. Like it's really a, a history of you know mid mid 19th to early 21st housing. Uh, you know, such an array of, of structures there, including some very new things. I was also surprised by how many of the really dinky houses were still there. Well, yeah. Not and not apparently they probably are on the inside, but not apparently jazzed up. No. Greatly. 
Yeah. Here on Bridge Road, we find, you know, it's, you know, once again, Loud. massively different from how it would Is have been. Is that the old pub here? It says, uh, on the corner of Wealth on the street, and I'm just looking at that one, wondering if yeah, that's an old yeah, hotel. Yeah, it's a pub, I think. Well, now it's a Landy's warehouse outlet, selling coats, yeah. primarily. But this was a, a big pub, apparently. So, you know, in my, even in my very short life, uh, a lot of changes have taken place in Bridge Road, particularly somewhere along the line, I don't know how. I went to Sydney in the mid-80s and I came back and Bridge Road was suddenly like a cheap clothing outlet. And um, since, since the mid-90s it's become much more, there's still some cheap clothing I think, but basically it's a, because it's still a bit touristy, but it's also, there's also some very expensive clothing as well. And also, you know, eateries and sort of touristy things. The first to look for, um, <clears throat> that looks good, noodle oil. Noodle uh, oil, yeah. 241, it's got a plaque. 241 is the printery of George Whitehurst, formerly the offices of the Richmond Australian, the town's vigorous local newspaper. Is that? And now it says here, Patrick? actually. Patrick David's labourer. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't match. Anyway. Well, I mean, I'm making sure. Now it just says sale. Some kind of sale. A paddock. We're in the corner of um, Church Street and Bridge Road. Well, I mean, I don't want to be an asshole or a smart asshole, but wasn't there like a paddock stood here almost everywhere that you go in Richmond for some period of time in the 1850s let's face it yeah, it's before not that you familiar. might as well say some trees were here yes true and you know anyway a nurseryman seedsman and florist okay I'm sure something else is here now it was a, obviously there was a building thing. somewhere in the and something that says interim. pop up shop also schnitzel shop it's currently a nasty little square that very few people are very interested in. Yeah. Because it's noisy and it's ugly. But otherwise... thinking that we're not going to eat there later <laughs> perhaps a lot of cheap eats around here five dollar pizza i think there's cheap eats and there's super expensive eats vietnam town yeah so that was a really interesting thing which obviously your first experience of richmond is very different from my greek experience because i don't even i don't know where the greek presence is in Richmond these days, maybe some sporadic bits and pieces. Wasn't there a venue called the Greek something as Greek well? Greek Theatre up the road, yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was a cinema just behind us a few blocks. It was a, uh, I think it was a cinema 
in the what, 50s and 60s, so it was, it was where you go to see Greek films. Mm-hmm. And then it became a venue. I saw... Uh, no, I can't remember who. I saw a few bands there. But it was, it was mainly when I was living in Sydney that that was operating. Yeah, so here we come, we're approaching the uh, town hall here, which is, uh, I now, don't know if they I talk about this in the book, but it was a, um, I'm sure they do, it was very controversial that they, during the um, Depression, the council spent huge amounts of money remodelling the town hall while all around people were starving. Ooh. This is the courthouse, right? Yes, the little pop-up planters. I'm going to have a drink of water. Do that. Formed on the good old plan, a true and brave and downright honest man, the fountain says. What's this mean? <clears throat> a tear for pity and a hand open as day for the melting charity. It says, it says something else on the other side about being honest. And the man in question. <clears throat> by mem- This memorial was erected by friends of the late... C.H. Bennett, J.P. M.L.A., who was formerly, for many years, a councillor of the City of Richmond, Mayor, 1886-87, and representative in Parliament for 20 years. Big moustache, too. Check out that moustache. We're in the um, foyer of the City of Yarra now. Yeah. What are we looking for again? The Scullin plaque. Right. There's a plaque commemorating Scullin. Scullin plaque. Scullin plaque. Let me take here. Inside the town hall, on the ground floor, is a plaque commemorating former Prime Minister James Scullin. I'm concluding that there isn't. I like that ticket thing. Dogs in Space House, which back in 1980 was not, for some reason, not known as such. Because they hadn't made the film yet. Because they hadn't made the film. When did they make Dogs in Space? Uh, they made it in 86 and it came out in 87. Uh-huh. And the, it, the events that it's based on um, would have, well, it was 1979. Oh, this looks familiar now, okay. But, um, is it this one? This is the house. Yeah. But they do actually say um, that. Sorry. Look, someone's written dogs in space on oh, the floor. So cool. Just help, helpful. Oh, yeah, just in case. Um, the two story wooden house facing Eucalyptus Street shows the efforts of one speculative builder to make the most of his small plot of land. True. True enough. Photos. 
when you think when you see it in a movie, you don't think about this street being so incredibly narrow. But no, and it's funny because it's narrow and it faces on another narrow street. That's odd. Yeah. Not many houses do that. Well, I think I think that's just what Graham's suggesting in his when he's talking about this house that it's he's kind of um, making the most of the visibility from. Bridge Road that you can look down the street and go, I'd like to buy that, oh, that yeah. very impressive big house. Do you know there. what I like about the street? I mean, you can edit this, I'll edit this out. Um, it's so narrow that you can't even park cars on it. So it, it yeah. just feels very calm. Yeah. They've only managed to fit quite a few garbage bins on the street, but no room for any cars. That's right. There's and the... That, um, there's the Palaco sign up there, which is, is not mentioned in the book either. And the Eucalyptus Street, is that named for that factory we were hearing about oh, before? Oh, the Zisto? Yeah. Mm, could be. Don't know. Don't know. And we've got an authentic 19th century baby. Squalling, as they said. Yes. Let's just look at this. Street jump. Pots. Is it, you know why that baby's crying? Because we're been here. Left alone. No, it's been left alone. <laughs> well, it's, well, its mother went to work. Going to work in the Eucalyptus factory. Look, tiny little kid yeah. doll's furniture or something. Yeah. Rotten. Teddy would like that. Yeah, this is a typical Richmond planning application. Is it? Part, part demolition and construction of a two-story extension with rooftop terrace and basement. So it's sort of that, what do they call it, uh, iceberg house thing. No. It'll look the same at the front, but inside it'll become yeah. something else. reckon this park wasn't here in the 80s. The Ben Alexander Park, pretty likely that it wasn't here. It looks like a kind of couple of house lots Pocket left of space. We should it. check that out later today. Um, it's Waltham that we're interested in. Waltham Place, the Bedgood Boot Factory. Okay, so this is where they moved from Judd to here, but I don't know where the Boot Factory would have been some um, possibly up at the end workman's cottages built in 1890 by Edward Miller of Kew uh-huh and that's what they are and they're certainly very fine looking expensive looking buildings these days you can still see you can see the Palaco building a good view of that at the end of the street it's, uh, it's another just a nice mm. 1870s 80s residential. What's this funny thing on the corner there? Maybe that's the factory side. Very, it's Obviously in the book that's, it's kind of um, meant to be obvious where that is and yeah. I guess that means that it was in existence then and it is no longer. So this is, so we're at St Ignatius Church. Oh, is this the Vaucluse? Yes, it is. Yeah. It doesn't look like a road, it looks like a driveway. But um, we've got tennis courts on our right, and we've got this incredibly impressive bluestone church on our left, which is just, uh, you know... Looks insanely classic, big. Absolutely classic gothic masterpiece. And uh, as you say, it's... it's uh, we're on top of Richmond Hill and we've got impressive views in many directions. 
I think, um, if I remember rightly, the, uh, there was a 1950s design for the complete redevelopment of Richmond that was going to uh, demolish everything except the ch the, that church. Right, that's the one thing they <laughs> thought was valuable yeah, then. Yeah. Let's save a bit of history. And here we go, we're coming to some red brick buildings that look kind of First World War to me, probably about a, about a century <coughs> old now. And, uh, St Kevin's. So, um, what Graham says, this leafy byway has become one of the most select neighbourhoods in Richmond. The merchant D.S. Campbell, self-appointed squire of the town in the 1850s and 60s, lived here. So did several other leaders of local society. And he lists a number of, number of the people. Uh, many of the substantial houses which once stood on the north side of the street have been demolished to make way for extensions to the convent of the Faithful Companions of Jesus, 1882, and so on. Look at that big... Uh, is that a house or an institution? I can't tell. I'd it's say big. that's a convent. Right. That's my guess. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it, the contrasts of Richmond are really extraordinary. Yeah, when we're down on the flat there, or tiny little dinky houses, admittedly expensive behind, but these ones are um, huge Yeah. by any measure. I mean, I guess the thing is, those dinky houses would have been totally and utterly affordable to a ridiculous extreme until about 20 years ago Yeah. for, the, for the, pretty much the duration... Affordable is relative, but for the duration of their existence. A house? I would like one day to live in a house where people couldn't even figure out if it was a house. <laughs> is that a house? Or well, you, you should or live a in a sheet of corrugated iron propped up against a tree. <laughs> that would, uh, is that a house or a the... public toilet? <laughs> exactly. With a very large car park. With a very large car park. It's not a house now, but it was a house. It was a house. Is my guess. This that looks says like no it was a parking, house. no uh, fines applicable. Be beware of the dog, no parking, no parking. Parking's a big mm, deal yeah, around here. Like no this. parking, please kindly leave for a removalist. They're taking that house away? Oh, they're actually, um, this is interesting only for me. They've actually rigged up a bin yeah, they've and put a sign saying no parking on the street because yeah. they need to keep it free. Is that against the law? Yes, that's why I took an interest in it. Interesting. You meant illegal. I think what I'm trying to say is they can put the sign there, but they've got absolutely no authority. Yeah, yeah. To say that. It just makes you want to... Um, let's go and get a go-get car and go and park there. <laughs> this is interesting too, this little Richmond football sign. Times in the 80s, like probably just after this book was published, uh, and because uh, a girl I was going out with, you know, very, we were very young, but her grandmother lived in Vaucluse. I can't remember what the house was, but it was so suddenly you you end up in a kind of a much more low key. I'm not going to say low cl lower class, but you know, smaller. Mm -hmm. And, but it's still a Vaucluse. Here's a block of flats down. called the Vaucluse. Two yeah. Vaucluse. And I was recently reading um, <coughs> Jason Don I was at someone's house and they had Jason Donovan's autobiography there. That's I'm pretty sure he said he lived in Richmond when he was growing up. Let's sit and discuss. Yeah, that's some pretty serious. Do you like it? Yeah, it's 
got a nice view of the city. If you like that kind of thing. We're right next to a sold sign. It says, yeah. apartment 15. Sold. Secluded, leafy garden oasis on, quote, Richmond Hill, unquote. Boutique, one bedroom, elevated ground floor apartment. Leafy garden outlooks from both bedroom and living area. Sun-drenched, open plan living and dining, split system, blah, blah, blah. Two parking permits available. Now, that's interesting. An apartment with parking permits. I know, it's only interesting to me. Only moments to Bridge Road and Swan Streets, restaurants, bars, shops and cafes. Just a short stroll to Melbourne Sporting Precinct. Okay, reflections. The whole, like the world has changed over mm-hmm. your lifetime. I think a lot of things are still here at the start. But that, that ad would not have existed when I was born. The, the um, like Richmond, I mean, I remember, like in 96, I moved back to Melbourne from Sydney and Richmond was just, I remember Kylie Minogue bought a flat in Richmond <laughs> and I was like. See, maybe my memory of Jason Donovan's correct. Mm. Yeah, probably. Mm. And, you know, it's just like, what, in Richmond? Why would you do that? Like, what is that? Like, who's giving her advice about real estate? You know, because that just seemed, <laughs> you know, once again, like um, so many other things, when I reflect on the past, it shows my, either my incredible lack of imagination or perhaps just, you know, the fact that things are not predictable in life. But uh, certainly, I guess growing up in Hawthorne, Richmond had always been, you know, I know I was making a big thing before about it being the Greek place, but it's all, it was also just the... Um, a much poorer place. Not not saying that I thought it was no good for that, but it just was. Well, I remember when one of my first planning jobs, which I enjoyed, but part of the task was reading um, objection letters. Yeah. Which went on to be a, a lifelong <laughs> pleasure. Pleasure yes. for me. But um, I remember reading some uh, from about a you know townhouse or something development in in Hawthorne. Yeah. And they distinctly said, "We can't become." Rich, I don't remember if they said Richmond or Bridge Road, but it was like, huh. and then it would, and then it said slums, uh, Asians, something, something, and I thought, what? wow, they said that in a letter. Yeah, so they had clearly, and this would be like two thousand, two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People in Hawthorne, this is a really, really. Uh, I was struck by just how big the houses were there. Uh, fancy part yeah. of Hawthorne in that in that uh, uh, western part of Hawthorne. Yeah. Yeah. Their worst-case scenario was to become like uh, Richmond down the hill. I wonder if it still is. The um, so that I guess that you know this is one of the things, one of the reasons why looking at Melbourne on foot is so fascinating because it's two things at once. It's a uh, it's a historical uh, foray of going back into you know, the previous hundred years before the book was published or more even. Uh, but it's also now it has an extra layer of, of what's happened in the 37 years since. And it's, uh, it, it gives us a real insight, firstly, into what people might be looking for. And I guess that's, you know, quite plainly, and there's no surprises here, but there's no real interest in anything that's post-1900 uh, in the historical tour mm-hmm. uh, that Graham's put together here, except a little bit about the town hall, I suppose. So maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of early 20th century, but a lot of it is... It's really about finding those original uh, landmarks and places, and uh, some really um, some delightful uh, architectural uh, period pieces from the mid to late nineteenth century, and that's that's really uh, striking. And I guess if you if you were in nineteen eighty walking around Richmond with your copy of Melbourne on Foot in hand, you'd be 
uh, just filtering out anything like the things that we can see from right here even like this this rather delightful um, uh, what's it called you know two houses together yeah um, from I guess the 1930s that's um, you know really attractive but you'd be filtering that that kind of stuff out completely because that's you know more modern and now I think we can see you know now we would be tempted to see Richmond as more of a melange I would say wouldn't you what's a melange it's a cake made of sponge cake and jelly a mixture of things is that yes, what you mean yeah that's right yes I can see that and we I noticed when we were doing tour several points overlaid uh, cult, like more like cultural reference things obviously the dogs in space but um, mm. somewhere else Oh, I guess there's a lot. I'm trying not to say it, but all the Paul Kelly Nilox sign. The Nilox sign, yes. The Paleco sign is a really interesting one as well. And in, I always think uh, in Dogs in Space, like Joe Camilleri was a member of, the, of a band called the Paleco Brothers, mm-hmm. which also featured Stephen Cummings and Johnny Topper and uh, Peter Lilly. And in Dogs in Space, Joe Camilleri has a very brief role, like a cameo role as the uh, irate neighbour mm-hmm. who w- w- marches down the street saying why do you make so much noise and stuff and he's got the Palaco sign in the background like just a kind of a, a reference to his uh, origins I suppose in a sense although it's also a reference to Joe Camilleri is a you know a really important musician in Melbourne in the 70s well he was started in the 60s but in the 70s and, and into the 80s and here he is being a grumpy old man next door kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so that's that's an amusing um, element to that movie. And by the way, um, I was joking about melange. What I described was a blancmange, and uh, okay. a melange is just, as you correctly surmised, uh, a mixture of stuff. The joke was lost on me, but I guess anyway. Um, well, I just figured that listeners would just think I was being an asshole again. Uh-huh. My observation of this, I've never really walked around Richmond much because I don't really know that many people live here. Mm. I had a couple of friends that lived on Punt Road there and that mm-hmm. was mainly like when you came for a grand final Ladies. party and stuff like that. And you go to buy booze at the place and they haven't got tops on and stuff. It's oh, quite yeah. an odd, odd memory that, yeah. of this world. So it was interesting to, um, to walk around it and uh, I thought it was, I'm not going to use the word melange or, or other, more mixed than I expected. Potpourri? And Was it a potpourri? Um, <laughs> Go on. Stride. The contrast between the um, hilly bits and the low bits is, yeah. is fascinating. It is. And um, I I actually went in expecting that we'd have more of those moments like, oh, this one's not here anymore, or now mm. it's fancy apartments. Perhaps not as comprehensive. It's very, very different, but it's still a lot of what uh, is described in that walking tour is still there. I think that's that's correct. It's uh, It's undergone... A lot of change in terms of the the society that's mm. here. I suspect also that you know I don't know if this is very original observation, but the the kind of the things that you were, you were describing the the land or the, the built form in terms of the the small blocks and the large blocks and so on is quite possibly a legacy of one of the few aspects of Melbourne that's that is walking city. Mm. Like it's it's you know you just got to can't fake it you've just got to have the um, cram in as much as possible into as small a space as possible because every, everybody's walking to the city uh, or local industry not anymore so not anymore course, now but you've got a lot of cars yeah. crammed in on a walking street yeah um is that an ambulance down the road it is yeah 
Um, I was trying to look up how much this property sold for, but I'm sure we can figure that out later. <sighs> okay, so that's uh, July, cold, but not sunny, not a rainy day. Yeah, I thought it was going to rain. I wonder if we can get something, donuts or something like that. <laughs> I, bought, I bought up donuts about half an hour ago and now it's sort of wet. I'm going to look up uh, menu log. Right. Okay, and then I'll have to go back and do some serious editing on this. you got to do what? i got to oh, edit all this stuff yeah, together. Sorry, I think what I'll do I'll is just take little bits and stick it over music. Oh, look, look. Dog wearing a Richmond jumper. <laughs> Beautiful. Good work. I'm a Richmond supporter. <laughs> like... <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.